Good morning. Here we go. Here we go. Let for great to see you. Thanks for coming out on your earlier hour. So uh, this would be Lent for Latare next week, Judica, and then Palm Sunday. All right. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12:24. O God, merciful and everlasting, who did spare thine only Son, but gave him up for us, that he, the true bread of life, might feed and refresh us. Grant, we beg you, that we may receive him gladly and thus be strengthened in every peril and saved to all eternity through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, no new handout, but if you need a... Uh, i got about eight things to talk to you about, but if you need this thing, how, cho- how, how a Christian should be taught to confess, please grab one of those. Uh, this goes to Ghana today. So we'll uh, collect for Pastor Finn. If you have an extra dime, drop it in the bag. Jonathan Mueller is back from Africa. Um, where he was, it was 104 every day all the time, apparently. So uh, that's how it is on the equator. Nothing changes. So he did a good service to the bishops and the seminarians there by teaching him music. So I'm sure his clock is upside down, and I think he's visiting. Um, they've got some family. Don has some family who are ill, so he's visiting there. Can you pass that around for me, please? So that goes to Ghana. Jonathan's back. A uh, couple of things. Um, you're getting more and more pieces about the new place. So you got the altar thing this morning. Any bur- big burning questions about the altar bit? The strangest, two strange things. One, it'll be square, not rectangular. The other one is it'll be metal, not wood or stone. Both those things are explained. Um, just any questions about that? It is kind of interesting that the ratio we ended up with the same ratio with the tabernacle and the temple, so that's kind of fun. Um, and actually, the, in the tabernacle, you remember, it was a bronze altar. We started with bronze and worked backwards uh, just out of cost considerations. But take a look at that. I, we're going to need some, just for the next door stuff, we're in, a, we're in a little bit of a gap between what the city requires of us for permitting. So we're, we're dead in the water in terms of doing any big things. Uh, we can't do any substantial things till we get our permit in. And, uh, but what we are going to do, hopefully, is skim coat the walls. Nothing screams boys' seventh grade PE locker room like cinder block that's been painted. Uh, so we have that next door. And what we'd like to do is put a skim coat over that. Now, what I need probably is 10 or 12 folks, uh, young, old, male, female, uh, who might be interested. Anybody interested in doing that? So here's the thing. Thank you. Okay, so I tell you what I tell you what you need to do. Is, is Bruce here? I talked to Bruce before, but I know it's his kid's birthday, so he might be here. Okay, Rich is here. You want to ca- take names afterwards? So Rich runs right here. It's going to be heavy-duty work, which is, you know, um, there's a concoction that they've made and tested now that sticks to this, so it'll look like a plastered finish instead. It'll have to be troweled on. I think it'll be um, and worked down, and it sounds like it's going to be more than one coat. It'll be... You know, we'll need some people who can go high all the way to the top and do that, and it'll be probably fairly fairly vigorous physically. Uh, But, you know, if you're interested, we have a couple of people uh, who have experience doing that, so I'm feeling confident that their ability, uh, people who have done it or people who've worked with drywall and plaster a lot, we have a couple of people who've done that a lot, so I feel pretty comfortable that we can... um, get this done from what I've learned. So Rich is here. If you can give him your name uh, afterwards, and you know, you don't have to have experience with this, just, you know, just the willingness to come do it. So uh, Rich afterwards, and then we'll, we'll kind of get something done in the break a little bit. 
Uh, okay, so the altar stuff you got, the skim coders, we're, you should begin to, um, and I'm talking a little bit with eight or uh, 745ers, uh, pretty soon the new schedule will be coming, um, but I'm trying to talk to a lot of people. For nine o'clockers, there, there won't be substantial change, I don't think, but we're going to have to at some point kind of introduce that. Um, if you're a 745er with a strong opinion, then you should see me. Uh, if you don't see me, I'll try to see you. I'm trying to... I probably talked about 30 people this morning in the earliest service. I just want to kind of get your read, let you know what I'm thinking about, and then uh, talk with the elders and the governing board, and at some point we'll need to decide that. But, you know, how far are we out? Are we six months out? I don't know. Depends when the permits come. In my own head, I kind of have the permits plus six months. Um, it could be six permits in four months. It could be permits in eight months. I have no idea. But um, we're working on that, and, and as it comes in, we'll, we'll try to uh, pick a good date for that. Uh, okay, anything else? Just about anything? Yes, please. Um, no. <laughs> the question was, am I ready to share what I'm thinking about service skills? I actually would like to do a little, a little more testing uh, before we get there. Um, but maybe in, maybe in a week or two, depending on how... Uh, people didn't come really early this morning. <laughs> <laughs> So we try to get to them before the eight o'clock, you know. But they weren't. This is this is always a tough morning in the church because we will come come a little late. Uh, a couple questions. Um, I had one question about um, imprecatory psalms. You know, there are these psalms that curse. Um, you know, I know those psalms are there. Uh, I have some various reactions to those psalms. You know, you know, the famous one is you know, beat their children against the rocks and let them die before their eyes type of things. Um, let me say a couple of things. Uh, so in no particular order. Um, the Psalms are always on Jesus' lips before they're on your lips. The church has always understood that, that the, the Psalms are on Jesus' lips before they're on your lips. And Jesus can do whatever he wants. In fact, way back when we talked about justice and mercy, and we'll come back to that. Um, you know, sort of what I said is, you know, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, said the Lord. So I, I kind of urge you to, to go with that. So Jesus can do what he wants. Um, I'd also say that in our particular generation, church, age, time, um, I don't know that cursing people is really our... Uh, well, I don't think that we need any help there. <laughs> we may need more help blessing people. So here would be my suggestion to you. Um, don't pray any imprecatory psalms for the next five years, and then five years from today we can come back and talk about it, 2015. See how that goes for you. Because our impulse is normally to curse people, and what I'm trying to do is build a new habit of blessing people or loving people and trying to give direction about how that works. So I'm trying that, that we together would be the kind of place that cursing would be our last option way, 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 way down the line. Uh, so what we're trying to do is to build a new habit. As I said to the new members yesterday, they took a little tour next door, you know, um, no crankiness allowed next door, you know. You have to leave all your crankiness here. Get it all forgiven. Get everything cleaned up uh, before we move next door. We're not taking it with us. So, and that was part of the sermon today as well, which is, you know, eyes forward what that would mean. So I know those psalms are there. I know that sometimes um, we feel that we ought to be cursing people. And I'm going to say a little bit more of that as we go through the commandments, but I just, I would like you to resist that impulse. To be honest with you, we're not very good at it. Um, you have to have a really objective heart to put a curse on somebody else. I don't know if I know anybody who's got that kind of a heart. 
I mean, of all the people I know, I don't know if there's one person that I'd be comfortable saying, why don't you put a curse on somebody? I just, um, we're too self-interested. It's too difficult. You're much more, you're much safer if you work with um, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, work on loving people, uh, not on hating people and cursing them. Because you, you have to be, the problem with cursing people is you've got to be exactly right. I mean, if you curse somebody and you're wrong, ooh, that's bad stuff. So, yes, please. You can keep, curse all the evil you want. Uh, so the question is, should we, can, we curse, can we bless the person and curse the evil? Yes, you can, but here's the problem. We get, in our age, we get a little Gnostic. So, you know, all heresies are just off 12 noon, right? They're not, if they were all the way down, everybody could spot them. So let me give you, give you an example. Um, we have, there's a saying which is, uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. You know, there's something about that that's correct, which is, if I sin, I want you to love me in spite of my sin, right? Hate my sin and still love me. The place that that goes wrong is the suggestion, it's an, an, it's an ancient heresy, that sin floats freely without an agent. If I didn't act, there wouldn't be any sins in the world. If you didn't act, there wouldn't be any sins in the world. If Adam and Eve didn't act, there wouldn't be any sins in the world. So I'm responsible for my sin. If I lie, this is extraordinarily important, if I lie, I'm a liar. I'm not a guy who told a lie. I'm a liar. Now, you see, we don't have any trouble doing that with somebody who kills. We automatically say, you murdered, you're a murderer, right? But we never think of ourselves in murderer terms, you know? We think of ourselves, we think of my sins, frankly, aren't as bad as your sins. You know, you're a murderer, but I just told a lie once, or you see? No, I, I have to own my sins. So it's, it's difficult to get my sins unstuck from me. So in some sense, that is right. We want to curse the things that takes us down the wrong path. We want to curse the thing. But practically speaking, let's make a deal. You curse yours for the next five years, and I'll curse mine. And then on the same date we talk about in Pregatory Psalms, we'll compare notes. Because what's our automatic thing? What's our automatic thing? I don't want to curse my sins. I want to curse your sins. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that I got it all going on. And you people, come on now, right? So you've got to be careful with that. You just have to be very, very... So it's, part of the thing is, is Christianity is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple. It's a simple thing. Love God, serve your neighbor. It's a simple thing. Tell the truth. It's simple, but it's not easy. It doesn't come to us easy to do those things. I do want to... Um, and now, you know, you who are, uh, you know, taking notes... <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spin something your way that'll sound like heresy. Um, if I say to you the Ten Commandments, are they law or gospel, your natural response is law, because that's what it says in the Catechism, and that's how it's taught. But of course, they're gospel. And if you don't believe me, you can go read the, read the text, Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who became your God when you had no God, who is about to give you a land, who redeemed you out of Pharaoh's hand who gives you soul, who gives you life, who gives you blessing, who gives you a promised land. I am the Lord your God who created you and never forgot you. I am the Lord who came back for you even though you cursed me. And so now, come with me. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. I'll give you my name which nobody else in the world has. I'll meet you every week and on the Sabbath day I will serve you. Honor your father and your mother. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Be happy with what you've got. 
and let's live together in peace and community. That is the greatest gospel word, unless you rebel against it, and then it becomes a fierce law. The catechism presumes our rebellion. But you remember in the Exodus text, it does not say the Ten Commandments. It does not say that. That is an interpretation that comes not in the text, but above the text. The text says the ten words, and it's not with an exclamation point like, be sure you do this. It's the ten words with a period. This is what life looks like. And God is revealing himself, his character, his love, for his people so they can live together as a community. When God speaks it, he gives it as a gift. He's revealing the divine life of the Trinity. He's telling you how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live together so that we can live together with ourselves, with our families, and with our community. He gives it as a gift. If it wasn't a gift, it was, if it was the law, and the law always accuses, he'd let the Red Sea collapse over them. But he didn't. He brought them through. And so that goes back to the thing that any word can be used two ways, depending on how God chooses to use it. If you are in utter rebellion, that, that word burns against you as law. It weighs you, it judges you, it measures you, it condemns you, it curses you, and it kills you. But if you say, thank you very much, that law is your greatest gift. If you don't believe me, you may test it yourself. Go to work tomorrow um, and steal. We'll presume that you didn't steal last Monday. Go ahead and steal tomorrow. Steal big and get caught. And then you let me know if your life is better or worse. Because the Lord says, that thou shalt not steal. And you'll find out, as you're led away in handcuffs, that it was better when you didn't steal. I mean, you can, you can do that for any other commandment, you know. Um, I hesitate to give you examples, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you can find them yourself. Uh, your life is better if you listen and do. God loves you, and so he tells you what life is about. To love God is to obey and embrace and do what he says. Okay? It's extraordinarily important. Still good? Anything else? Yes, please. The catechism is bang on. It's just whether you read it as, you remember long ago in the very first class, you know, I drew the circle about how Romans 6, you're buried with Christ, you rise with Christ, you live with Christ. So the catechism is the boundary, perfect. The law is good. And sometimes I'm misunderstood when I say this. You, I just want to be very, very clear about this. The law is holy, you're not. The law is good, you're not. The giving of the law is a great gift. And so, um, don't kill your neighbor is not just good advice. It reveals the character of God. And so, you can say of that, thank you so very much. Uh, and that is a great blessing to you then. So, this is what uh, we t commonly know in the catechism is the third use of the law, the gospel use of the law. Um, but, uh, if you do kill your neighbor... Uh, you come under the condemnation of both society and of God. So um, 
I, I might, you know, test this. There was a third use of the law before there was a first use of the law. That is, in Eden, it was a great blessing. Before there was any sin, there was no sin to accuse. So uh, when God reveals himself, it's a great gift, and when they rebel against him, it burns, you know, it burns this judgment. This is the same way in the character of God. God's nature is mercy, a gospel thing. If you refuse him forever, um, he won't force you to be saved because mercy doesn't force. And so then that exact same character burns against you as wrath. So it's that it can work both ways. It can work both ways. And we see that in the fourth command, for example, which isn't a thou shalt not. It's honor your father and mother and I'll bless you. And actually each of the commandments have that and the, and the explanations as we've gone through have suggested that. So, um, you know, pray, praise, and give thanks, for example. Each of them gives you a negative and a positive, so it looks at both sides of that, of that single word. So it's a good question. Okay, ready to do the last six? Here's what we're going to do, I think. Um, I can't remember if I talked to you about this, but um, I think it's in flux. If we do four today, and you do restitution next week, take Palm Sunday and Easter off, and then we'll come back and go hard at it again. Would that be okay? So we're going to go this week, then we're going to go next week. We'll talk about restitution, which is ex extraordinarily important, because um, one of the problems with, uh, with, with Lutherans, one of the problems with Lutherans is, and this is an, a criticism that comes from both Catholics and evangelicals. In fact, I had an invitation to um, speak on this at Wheaton College uh, in the middle of April. Uh, it'll be a difficult topic, so what did I do? I gave it to Pastor Gaining. <laughs> So he's going to go down and talk to a political science class about the two kingdoms. And I can guarantee you what the questions are going to be like. They're going to be like, why didn't the Lutherans stand up against Hitler? Hey, Bonhoeffer was right and the rest of the Lutherans were wrong, so why did they follow Bonhoeffer? And it's going to be all about, you know, the sanctified life. And, and the typical, you know, I did most of my work at out, not in Lutheran places after the seminary, which is good because you hear what other people say about you. Um, and you get, that's how you get better. You hear critiques that are not just in-house critiques. The critique of Lutherans normally is nice doctrine, you don't get anything done. Um, so, you know, we have to be aware of that because that's how we look to other people. If we look to other people like that, that's not an attractive kind of church. Uh, so, so, you know, we've got to think about that. We've got to think that through. Anything else? Okay, Sixth Commandment. Um, I want you to be careful here because um, this can go wrong very quickly. Uh, wait, can I say one other thing before I do the Sixth Commandment? Here's, a, here's homework for you. Uh, go home and take a look at the Ten Commandments, and then go home and take a look at the petitions to the Lord's Prayer. You'll see some striking similarities. Our Father, first thing is the Father, thou shalt have no other gods. Hallowed be thy name. Don't misuse the Lord's name. Our Father of art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. How does the kingdom come? By the preaching of the gospel on the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's interesting how the order of the Lord's Prayer follows the order of the commandments. It's very interesting. Um, just, just, yes, they were written by the same author. Yes, they were. So, forgive me for neglecting the obvious. Uh, uh, I, just, I just find it remarkable. Because here's what happens. We've, we fairly easily embrace the Lord's Prayer, but we don't so easily embrace the Ten Commandments because we think of the Lord's Prayer as pure gospel, which it is. It's a great, you know, come on, be our God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, come on, forgive me. But we don't, this can pinch us, 
And so we don't quite embrace these. And maybe part of our trouble has been we haven't embraced these or paid enough attention. Okay, so you know, I've taught, I think, once or twice in the Ten Commandments that I've been here. One, remember one year, this was all about the Ten Commandments. We took the whole year when we got through the first three. So uh, we have had some swings at it, but, you know, maybe we should have turned back a little sooner. All right, don't commit adultery. We should fear and love God that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and what we do, and husband and wife love and honor one another. Um, how Christians should be taught to confess. Um, God has given me this gift of sexuality that I might love and honor my spouse selflessly. That sort of cleans up all the submission talk in Ephesians with marriages. Submission, you know, when we talk about that is, um, you remember last week I talked to you about how uh, basically you have the first three commandments about God, and then you have the order of the cosmos in the fourth commandment. Um, God, the cosmos, uh, Christ, the church, husband, wife, uh, pastor, congregation, parent, child. So that's the order that comes in the fourth commandment. If you need more of that, you can read the large catechism. It kind of spells all that out. Then the fifth commandment is kind of the hinge. Here's life. This is life. Don't kill it. So there's God, and there's order in the cosmos, and that's meant to bring life. And then the rest of these, how that works out. Um, uh, so we get the rest of these, and, and, we, and we get the blessing of what happens. So have I used for my own uh, pleasure or ears to hear stories in my eyes and cite cravings of the body for one who's not my spouse, or my mouth to speech such words and stories? You know, immediately two things come to mind here. One is, um, you remember when uh, John Paul, the, so I, I want to be very careful here, because I would write this even more carefully, and, you know, that's not a criticism, but you remember uh, 15 years ago, uh, John Paul II, made a great, caused a great brouhaha when he said a husband can rape his wife. It was a kind of a brilliant theological analysis because what he suggested is that within a marriage you're not free to do anything you want to your spouse. Uh, and it understood a marriage utterly in the way of the gospel. So I, I, I want to even tighten up this particular thing, which is it's not just a matter of, um, you know, you hear stories to incite cravings of one who's not my spouse. Incite cravings, probably not for anything that's illicit, you know, because you don't want to drag your spouse into something that's a bad thing. And obviously the great challenge is pornography here. Um, boy, it's tough because uh, your kids and mine, uh, you know, they just, if you have a computer and it's not locked down, or if you have an iPhone or, or web access and you don't have your kid's phone locked down, and then if, even if they're best, you can do all you want and they're best friends. The problem with that, of course, is it utterly distorts our notion. Pornography utterly distorts our notion of, of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, what sex is, what relationships are, and how, how the greater good is carried on. And, um, you know, it's just, a, it's just an extraordinarily difficult thing. Run the other way is all I can tell you. You know, just run the other way. Uh, it's no helpful thing. It's, it's just extraordinarily difficult to protect your kids from it, and even yourself. You know this if you check into a hotel. You know, the first thing they'd like to do is sell you, you know, a late-night movie at a premium price. So, um, please, please, you know. All right, turn your, turn your page, please. Um, have I indulged my eyes with longing for sexual satisfaction from a man or woman who's not my spouse? Here's the thing. You know, you'll hear men say occasionally, I haven't heard women say this, although one of the great sadnesses of the last couple decades is women have also become, almost become as bad as men at this sort of thing which is this whole notion, you know, I can look at the menu if I don't order. Yeah, actually, you can't look at the menu. And I just mean this real seriously. Your eyes should go in a different direction. Um, 
There's just not a lot of helpfulness with the Victoria's Secret catalog coming to your house. There's just not. You know, they're trying to sell you something. I'm not sure that it's what they say they're selling you, you know. And it's very difficult because even, you know, this has crept down into normal TV and normal hours when TV is. So please just, you know, please just. Have I dishonored my marriage by ridicule, divorce, and neglecting um, to encourage others? Now, here's the thing. You know, ah, boy. You know, you can go for days on this. Um, I can just tell you there's a pastor's dilemma when I just read something like that to you out loud. Let me go to another place. I often get criticized on uh, Right to Life Sunday because I don't sort of slam my fist down and talk about how horrible abortion is here. Um, here's the thing. We all know that already. And frankly, there are people in this congregation who've had abortions or have been part of it, men and women. And it's not particularly helpful for a pastor to, you know, sort of bang away. And I will say... It's been very helpful over the last 10 years or so. Um, many um, pro-life groups have heard that, and they've come to understand that, um, you know, this is ancient pastoral stuff, which is a little law and a lot of gospel. People who have been involved in that have, uh, and have suffered that for whatever reason are already broken. You don't have to break them more. It's like a funeral. You've got a dead body there. You don't have to preach much law. The law is right in front of them. Um, in the same way about divorce, you know, I, in my first parish, my first, almost my first day, somebody came up to me and said, um, you can preach whatever you want here, but don't preach about divorce, because almost all of us have been divorced, and it'll be the end of you. Now, that's a very interesting comment for a, a range of reasons, but it was, it, hear it in, a, in this way. Most people have been divorced in that congregation, and a lot of them are still very raw from it, especially in a small town. So I want you, when I read this, I want you to, and I'm going to say the same thing to you. You might as well just go to the last one. Have I had thoughts, words, deeds, or given support to homosexual activity? Here's the thing. Sometimes it feels like the only thing the church can agree on is condemning people who are homosexuals. I mean, we can't agree on much, but that's one thing we can agree on. We don't tend to issue, you know, communiques about men who sleep with their secretaries or prom night at the high school or a lot of other things. I guess I would just, I just want you to be careful about, let's presume everybody in here is broken with one thing or another. So it's very, very tenuous <coughs> for a pastor or for you all to start pointing to sins that are bigger sins than my sins. And there are sins that, that are easy to identify and there are sins that get national play. People who are homosexual, they got no place to go often. i just be honest with you. They're, uh, you know, we've often said to you, what, what hurts most in life is to be alone and unloved. That hurts deeply for folks to be alone and unloved. So what would it be like if you were the congregation where, now I'm going to go back to your very poignant beginning was, we could identify things as not helpful and sinful, but also a place where you could love folks. Now that would be interesting. And if you can't do that, if we can't do that, then what we're saying is some sins, other people's sins, are way worse than my sins. This goes all the way back to my comment about, you know, we'll get it right when we start naming our kids Judas again. Okay? So I just, as I read this, this is so stark. You know, so stark to read this. It's so hard. And people suffer so much. I just, please be gentle. I just, I, this goes clear back to the imprecatory song thing. First put it to yourself before you put it to anybody else. Take a few years off putting it on anybody else. Okay, just put it to yourself. And be very, very careful because what, before you preach the law to people, you have to make sure the law is necessary. People who are broken and suffering don't need any more law. What they need is somebody to love them 
in spite of themselves. Right? And that's not tr just true for this kind of sin. That's true for all kinds of sin. Make sense? Please, please. You know, People aren't going to hear this from anybody else. This is why the church has such an advantage. People aren't going to hear this anywhere else. You know, It's easy to beat up on people who are public sinners. Who can't do that? It takes no particular skill. You know, so just please be defined by what you love and not by what you hate. Um, you can sort of read the rest of these, you know, um, sex outside marriage with, you know, which, and it goes by different names. Um, you know, adultery goes if you're married. Fornication is the same thing if you're not married. Um, have I dishonored by my spouse my neglecting or care for the body? Don't I think about myself. The mind, feeling, and needs of the other withdrawing faithfulness from my spouse. Have I failed to trust God to bless us in our marriage even in times of trouble? So here's the thing, no matter what happens, you know, God is still for me and he'll still hold me together. I can barely do this because I know how troubling this is for many people in the congregation because I know people in the congregation. So I just can barely, I can barely brush this in a public forum um, because these are the things that go right to the root of your own lives. But in all things, um, as I said when we started, sins don't, sins don't go away by themselves. Time does not heal. In the church, that is a heresy. Time does not heal. Mercy heals. Love heals. Forgiveness heals. Grace heals. And then time does its work. But time by itself does not heal. Time by itself is not a means of grace. In fact, often, um, in fact, read the margin comment, I think, for next week or the next week. There's a poignant margin comment that's the welcome that talks about imagination. That let's say I say something horrible about you, Mr. Lee, uh, or let's say let's do it this way: you say you do something horrible about me, and I just let it bubble, and I talk, and it gets bigger, and I embellish it, and I talk about it some more, and I'm always thinking about it. And pretty soon, this little thing that you've done gets like this, and imagination gets to be far worse than reality. It's one of the problems with gossip, because things are done in secret. And they're never exposed, they never heal, and they continue to grow. Okay? So I just, I just want to be very gentle here. I want to be gentle here because sex is the dominant theme in our culture. We are sexual beings. The church has done a horrible job with sex over the centuries. Um, and we ourselves have not always done a good job with this either. So it just goes back to what we've been saying now. Don't touch unholy things. Embrace. Say yes to what's holy. Say no to what's unholy. It's just as simple as that. And that's what this is begging you to do. And here's the other thing. And I think we often forget this. You're going to live okay without pornography. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine without having an affair. You're going to be fine. It's going to be all right. Your life is going to be fine. In fact, it's going to be better. Okay? You're going to be fine without ridiculing your wife or your husband. You're going to be fine. In fact, you're going to be better. And so often we embrace, this is, this is kind of a misunderstanding of law and gospel, when we embrace the commandments as ruining our fun. Uh, it's that old Capon thing about, that's like waking up in the morning and putting your nose in a cheese slicer, right? It's fun while you're doing it, you know, but you wake up the next morning and... I mean, why, why, is there, why are there all those wake-up-the-next-morning jokes? Because there's a reality to it. While you're doing it, you're, you're fine. And then you have to live with that the rest of your life. And what do you do with that? The answer is 
you confess it, it gets forgiven, and then time can heal. Okay? This is potent stuff. It's very difficult to do it in a big group. Um, let's just try to let's just try to do a good job with it, okay? You okay? Questions about that? Yeah. Right. And once you approach the person and explain that you know, I'm concerned about your uh, going to hell, leaving you know, your dad and that. Right. And you're supporting the person's love on some level. Right. Okay. Good. So the last one was a question about homosexuality, how you engage people. What does it mean to support them versus loving them, um, and, and sort of what you do with that. I'd just be real honest with you. You know, you could all take your family tree. You get 40 people at a Christmas gathering, there's somebody who's gay in the room. I'm just, here's the thing, and maybe not, you may not believe it, you may not know it, but um, I, one of the experiences I've had over my life is people who I've, I've been very close to for a number of years, over the course of time, telling me that they were gay. I've also, I've often also been pastor long enough to know to have a significant number of confirmation kids come back to me and tell me that as well. So I gotta do something with that. That's a real deal, right? Um, what I need to say to them is, um, I love you no matter what. Because Christ loves them no matter what, right? Um, it's very tough uh, because it's, it goes to people's identity and because it's very tough because it goes to people's identity and also because um, we've done such a poor job with it. We've done such a poor job for caring for people in this, in, with sexual matters. We've done such a poor job um, that if you went on our website, for example, I mean, if you let's say you're a gay person, you go on the national website. You know what you're going to find is a statement against homosexuality. You and I could, you know, embrace that and say, yeah, that's true. I mean, we understand that biblically. But if you're a non-believing homosexuality homosexual and you want to know what the church says, we need to be sure that whatever we say opens the door to love and community for those folks, too. The other thing is, is and I think part of it is, um, we often want things to be cured like this, right? And some things are easier to cure than other things. Um, if you're stealing, we might be able to get that cleaned up fairly quickly. If you're a gossip, that might take a little time. If you think you're gay, I can just tell you from experience from talking to gay folks, that takes a really long time. So you've got to love people for a really long time in a really gentle way and not abandon them. So it's difficult. But, but here's the thing. We know what's right and wrong. It's all in the application of right and wrong. I mean, this congregation, we, our problem isn't that we don't know what's right and wrong. We know what's right and wrong. Our, 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 our trouble, our challenge, our everyday deal is how does right and wrong work itself out in our relationships with other people. I just Our default too often is judgment and hatred rather than love and mercy. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what we've been doing the whole time. It's just this is a very specific instance. And like you, I'm, I mean, we could have a coffee later, but I bet, I bet you could name me five or ten people you know who you deeply care about who are gay, and what are you doing about them? How do you engage that? It's very hard. It's very hard. So... Um,
Yeah, so the question is, does it go back to don't judge lest you be judged? But, and the next line is, and the judgment, with the judgment you give, that is the judgment with which you'll be judged. So here's what that means. There's two things that that means at least. One is, it can't be the Jack Smith judgment or the Scott Brusick judgment, okay? Right? It's got to be the Jesus judgment. So the first question is, what does Jesus say about this? Um... Um, and now I'm too old to remember the second thing I was going to say to you, Jack. <laughs> How's that? And I lost an hour of sleep last night for crying out loud. But maybe you've forgotten the question I've asked by now, so maybe we'll just call it even. And we're going to go, go have some fun. Uh, so we judge, let me just see if I can, we judge with Jesus' judgment. That's the most important thing, that we judge with Jesus' judgment. Um, I don't know, it'll come to me uh, at 5 o'clock, I'll call you at home. Okay. I just thought of yeah. It's always been kind of scary to me to be the judge somebody else. Right. Right. Well, then I know what I was going to say. Unless you're put in a position of judgment, and we did that two weeks ago in the margin comments. Yeah. So, so here's the thing: when you read the fourth commandment, particular people will put in. So, a magistrate, a judge is meant to judge society, and a pastor is meant to judge a congregation. A parent is meant to judge a family. Now, here's part of the problem: when we hear that. You might, I just wonder whether you have an adverse reaction to that. If you do, I just want to ask you about your family life. If you have a family life where your parents are not the ultimate judge, your family life isn't very good. I mean, you live in Wheaton, and I'll tell you one of the problems in Wheaton, kids run the show uh, in many families, okay? So here's the thing. If Fourth commandment, if you're a parent, you're the person in charge. If you're a pastor, you're the person who's responsible to Christ. We did that out of Jeremiah. And if you're the, um, uh, or out of Ezekiel, whichever, whichever one was there. And if you're, if you're a judge, you know, so make sure that it's given to you to judge. And then you have to bear the burden of what Scripture says about people who are put up to judge, which is, for example, not many people should aspire to be teachers because they'll be, you know, more harshly cared for. I told you I was going to do four today. How am I doing, man? This is typical. I was, uh, but I could read your heart. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I didn't actually expect to say so much about this. I do think it's, uh, yeah, I know. You're, I, what you're going to say is, you never think you're going to say that much about things. Okay. But here's the thing. I mean, this is a place where we can, you know, we can do, we can do a little bit better. Um, I just want to say a final thing so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not disagreeing with the commandments. I'm not disagreeing with the church. I'm not disagreeing with Jesus. Um, sex falls within the boundaries which Christ has given us. What I am saying is um, be very careful, be very loving, and don't just always take the easy way out, which is to ostracize persons or groups because that very easily goes to we're better than you are, and that doesn't advance the gospel. The gospel is for everybody. And remember that sometimes you're the only person that people in deep sin are going to hear the gospel from because everybody else has already ostracized them. So you need to be the person who hangs with them. And I just want to go back to Denise's comment, which was very poignant. Part of it is, is I've given you... Um, very clearly, yes to what is holy, no to what is unholy, touch holy things, don't touch unholy things. 
to be really honest with you, this is one of the great stresses of being a pastor and a great stress of being a Christian, which is you spend all your days basically right up against things that are unholy. That's not just for me, that's also for you. It's one of the great stresses because it's very easy to err, it's very easy to become exhausted, it's very easy to compromise, it's just very easy for evil to uh, wear you down, which is why it's extraordinarily important to have, you know, be at the Eucharist to keep your prayers in shape, the whole shot. But that's also true for you, it's not just true for me. You know, your salt to the world, your light on a hill. It's not just true for me, it's true for you either. But you need to care for your souls uh, even as you go out into the world. It's, it's just extraordinarily important. Partly what you should be seeing is all this, is there's a big package of what it is to be Christian. If you're not part of the big package, you're, you're not of as much use to Christ as you ought to be. Um, and when it comes to things like this, which are deeply dividing, Christians need to lead and not follow. So... I actually didn't intend to do so much on that, but it is. Um, if you don't think it's relevant, you talk to any high school kid because whatever you think about uh, homosexual folk and, and sort of gay feelings and, and gay, gay life, you, if you have a kid who's 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I just guarantee you they aren't, they aren't losing any sleep about this. Okay? They're, just, they're not. I can just tell you. You just ask them. And if they are, they're an anomaly. Nine in ten kids, I would get. It just doesn't. In fact, you could read the statistics. It doesn't even occur to people of high school age. Um, so what does that mean? That means, or certainly of college age either, what does, that, what does that mean? That means that we have to even be more winsome and more careful and more engaging and more strong and more gentle, and we need to do that all at the same time. This is, why you, this is why it's so important to be in church every Sunday, important to be in Bible study, important to make confession, important to read your catechism because Christ is trying to use you out in the world. Yes, please. Can an openly gay couple join our church and take communion? <clears throat> Can an openly gay couple join our church and take communion? What I like about you, Mr. Craig, is there's no bush to beat around. <laughs> um, let me, I'm going to parse your sentence and leave it with a question mark. So I'm going to give a stiff arm, then I'm going to faint back, and I'm going to go long to the sacristy because it's time to go. All right, so uh, <laughs> then I'm going to ask, Kenny, what should I have? Uh, okay, so um, when you join, let's go with join a church first. When you join a church, you confess what the church confesses. And when you come to the Eucharist, you confess what the altar says. So both the joining and the Eucharist are going to present some issue. Um, I would rephrase it. Let's, let me pose the question to you another way. Can an openly gay celibate couple join our church and come to the Eucharist? Just pose that. I changed your question. Okay? I realize that. I just want to pose that. And now I want to I set you with this going out. There's, a, there's east from west the difference between people who struggle with a sin and, 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 and um, don't struggle with it. Okay, so let's take something that's easier for us, where we wouldn't say this. Um, can an openly struggling alcoholic join our congregation and take the Eucharist? Yes, because they're struggling against the thing that so afflicts them. Now let's, let's switch it and say if we can say the same thing about sex. The way you set the question, there's, there's at least um, you know, three traps and two landmines in that question. But I'm trying to give you a way to, so the easy book answer is no. Now, wiggle, 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 because to be pastoral, you have to know the people, 
you frankly have to see. I mean, I just tell you, when people come in to get married now, uh, this is how it's changed over the 13 years I've been pastor here. We or been a pastor, and over the years I've been, it used to be I would think about 30% of 20% of the people were living together when they came in to get married, and if you talked to them about sex, you know, uh, they didn't want to talk about it. Probably I would say 70% of the people we see. 90%, okay, uh, I guess gaining gets the young ones, uh, you know, I would say 70%, 90%, 70% of the people we come into us um, who are living together, so we don't even ask them anymore, you know what we just say? We just say, uh, what's your wedding date, and they tell us, and we say, you're giving the same address, and they tell us, and we say, you know, we're just going to presume you're sleeping together, that's not the way the Lord wants it, in fact, he considers that a sin, so we're going to have to work with that, but um, stop until you're married. And we'll work through confession and forgiveness. We don't even ask them anymore. We just presume it. We're almost, and the thing is, they take no offense because they just nod along. Yeah, okay, because that's what everybody does. I mean, I guess we could have we could have just as easy easily had that conversation rather than the gay conversation. We could have just as easily had that. The key is, if people are struggling against their sin, which means they need grace, they need the Eucharist, they need care, and whether or whether they're not struggling against it. And that's a hard, that's a, actually a very good question. Thank you very much. So. Yeah. Wow. That would have been a great, so he's, he said he was trying to get the, to the distinction between homosexuality and sin, lying and sin. Where would you have gone with that? What's your next question? Maybe we can do it next week, but what would have been the next thing? Because you see him as different or the same or, or how? Just trying to figure it out. Yeah, okay. I mean, if I'm a thief, right. and I don't think it's wrong, well done. I would yes, we would. That's exactly right. You're exact, so that, and that's so good, and that's what I, which is, so he said, if you're a thief and you don't think it's wrong and you just keep doing it, are you going to let him join the church and not, yeah. So the, but you know what? A repentant thief? Say, thief on the cross type? Right? Bring them, bring them, right? Bring them. That's what we want. So, great. You've, you've nailed it, which is whether people are struggling against their sin or they don't really care. So that was very helpful. And that's how we need to think, too. Okay? It's not easy. All right. Thanks very much. Let's pray and go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.